Ahoy! It's your boy, and welcome to episode 66 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, uh, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Your boy is going nuts. Uh, I'm going full Shining. I'm going full Jack Torrance, Overlook Hotel style, fucking nuts. Uh, I I had my last final on Friday. Things went great. Um, Not really much to say, except, uh, you know, I'm sure your boy did well again this semester. Uh, The last couple days, haven't had shit to do. Uh, We're kind of in a weird interstitial time at work. Things are pretty slow. They'll be picking up again, probably starting tomorrow, honestly. But um, I've just had a lot of time to read and watch movies. And uh, I was telling them, uh, I mean, I checked in with my girlfriend today. I spoke with my brother today. And uh, when I told him what I'm about to tell you, he said, man, you need your girlfriend back. <laughs> you need your girlfriend back. But um, I, I, I don't know. I was trying to reflect, knowing I was going to record today, or as I was going about my day today, I was just kind of reflecting on you know, what happened over the last week? Um, and, uh, it, you know, is there one sort of umbrella I could sort of tie things under just to sort of have a theme? And uh, we probably won't stick to this, but the one I came I came to was disappointment. Uh, not full-blown disappointment, but just, in a way, maybe even qualified praise, depending on how you look at it, but just kind of high hopes and just disappointed. And it happened in two areas, both creative and, uh, you know, both keeping with the theme of, of, I think probably the last few episodes have been devoted strictly to literature and movies, but, um, I guess I'll start, the the first one was actually Cloud Atlas, which I mentioned I was reading. And I, I had seen the movie, which is kind of rare, but I saw it, you know, I think, I think that movie came out in like 2000, Jesus, I don't even know, 13, 14, it may be, I don't know. But the point is, is that. Uh, it had been long enough that I, I sort of knew the broad strokes of, of the story, but there were still plenty of surprises in the plot. And also the, the, the novel is very different in specifics. Uh, you know, I, yeah, the broad strokes are the same, but there's just huge changes. Uh, otherwise it just, I mean, you just wouldn't have been able to turn it into a movie. It would have, I mean, this actually would have been a great, um, uh, book to be turned into an episodic series on Netflix or something like that. But uh, the point being that I was sort of already won over by the themes of the movie. I know the movie's not perfect, and I actually rewatch it also. And it's it's a very flawed but fine movie. Um, And the ideas are good. And not just in a, you know, there's plenty of movies that are sort of, uh, I don't know, they they pander to the current political or social climate. And so, you know, there happens to be a lot thematically in that movie that is very relevant. But I also think that there's something timeless, too, and, um, and there's something at the heart of that movie that um, kind of was a big part of my sort of post eaching sort of consciousness-raising uh, stuff. And uh, so it stings a little bit to see it creatively because of the, there's a lot in it that I want, you know, and had kind of hoped to do in my own creative work that I just uh, I was too scared to do, honestly. And actually, this comes up for, for the second part also, but... Um, but I guess going into the novel, I just meant that uh, I en- I enjoyed the heart of the movie, and so uh, that was why I wanted to read the book. And for the first three quarters of the book, I fucking loved it. 
um, you know, there's basically six plot lines that you sort of go through uh, uh, in sequence, you know, chronologically, and then you reach a sort of turning point and then you go back through them. Um, you sort of revisit them kind of with some new insight um, that you've sort of been gathering as the story sort of unfold. And, you know, as I was reading it, it's, it, it's, it's sort of one of those things that you love reading where, you know, as you're reading it, you just know that you, you're really enjoying it. Um, almost like you don't want it to end in some ways. You're just like, oh, I'm really enjoying this sort of space of this book. And then right at the sort of turning point, it's a little bit past halfway. I'm calling it three quarters because I don't know what else to call it. But once it starts revisiting the stories, it just sort of stutter steps and doesn't, it just feels less confident. All of a sudden, weird things start sneaking into the prose. It just feels less confident, less assured. It starts to stutter step a little bit. And, you know, I don't know if there's such a thing as unqualified praise for me. I don't know if there's anything, even my favorite movies, favorite books, that, you know, there's always things that you can find. You know, they're not perfect. But it really was kind of disappointing. And so maybe I'll just leave it at that. The, the book was overall very, very good. I, w- I would recommend that people read it. But I really wanted... I thought I had a, like a full-fledged winner on my hand, and I don't know. I just finished it, and I felt kind of disappointed. Um, so we'll leave it at that. I think we'll revisit that concept because I think I have uh, some thoughts, too, that um, maybe it doesn't even matter that it's imperfect. Um, but the second part, you know, we've talked a lot about Christopher Nolan on this podcast. We've talked about movies that I love, like The Prestige, um, Memento, beautiful movie. Um, you know, the Dark Knight shit, I actually don't really like. I mean, I think it's good visually, but I I think they're kind of (laughs) dumb. I think they're kind of dumb movies. They may be the best comic book movies ever made, but, um, yeah, I just think there's something fundamentally silly about Batman, um, that I think Christopher Nolan does his best to sort of, um, you know, he does it better than anybody, and I think it has his, his sort of style, so that's cool. But, you know, the best Christopher Nolan stuff is his original movies. Interst- uh, Interstellar's fine. Uh, but there's some, it's, in some ways, it's sort of like Quentin Tarantino, where there's something about his recent output. Something started to creep in to Quentin Tarantino's films with Kill Bill Part Two that I find uh, sort of mars everything he's done since then. Um, I don't know what it is exactly, and it's, it's different for Tarantino than what it is for, for Christopher Nolan, but there was something in Interstellar that really kept it from being a great movie for me, and that was it couldn't get out of its own way in terms of exposition. The problem with Interstellar, and it actually shows up in Inception the more you watch it. The first time I, I watched Ince- Inception, I was so into the concept, I was just sort of all in from the beginning, and it was such a new world to kind of be in visually uh, story-wise, there was just something so cool about the concept that you're just sort of all in. Now, as I've watched Inception a few times, you know, you do go back, once you're familiar with the story, once the novelty is worn off, you do kind of realize in every scene it's just people talking about not just the plot, but the mechanics of the plot. There's so much that has to be explained to you conceptually, um, and there's so much critical thinking, I think, that's going to happen as you're watching the movie that the dialogue is trying to anticipate that. It's trying to do big things, but it's needing, it's needing the viewer to wrap their mind around stuff. And so, for me, there's something about Inception, though, even though it's not perfect, I think it's a very good example of taking something very high concept and very smart and making it for a popular audience. Uh, Interstellar, 
uh, has all the great stuff of Christopher Nolan. It's, it's very, it's visually very cool. Conceptually, it's very cool. And the ending, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know if you call it a plot twist, but there's the, the I think they call it the Tesseract, but there's that Tesseract scene that it's just really poignant. And it does what Christopher Nolan does well, which is, you know, he weaves in sort of big concepts, sort of life stuff with time and all that sort of stuff. And, um, so Interstellar is a fine movie, but it's also a little, <laughs> you know, it's a very ambitious movie, but it doesn't quite, doesn't quite earn its ponderings or its musings, if that makes sense. And I, I don't know how one does that, but you almost feel like it's just, it's almost like, uh, Sometimes you feel people speaking at the fringe of their understanding. I mean, your boy does that all the time. But I mean, they're really pontificating on a topic that you just kind of get the sense that they don't fully understand. And there's a little bit of that in Interstellar. Um, uh, Dunkirk was phenomenal. I think my timeline gets screwed up, but I think it was like Inception, Interstellar. Dunkirk may have followed Interstellar, but to me, Dunkirk was phenomenal. And I sort of went into it with my arms folded because I had... I think my takeaway was I thought people didn't like that movie. Um, And so I was sort of anticipating it, you know, not being very good and loved it. It was probably one of my favorite movie watching experiences I've had in a long time. And in some ways it sort of clarified for me, I don't know, there was something that Christopher Nolan did great with Dunkirk that sort of surprised me because... There's so much about Inception that's like his, what we've come to see as his sort of signature style, which is high concept, but also very stylized. Um, and there's just something so now about his, his, the visual style of Christopher Nolan uh, movies as well. And the music, by the way. There's something about this, the, the, the music and the score that are um, incredible also. There's just something like you feel like there are some filmmakers who are just of this epoch, and Christopher Nolan is clearly one of them, despite the Dark Knight movies. Um, I, I don't think those are the movies that he's going to be remembered for. I think they're the ones that people know him by now, but I just, I don't think, not that history is going to look back and think that they're garbage, although I, I do think like Dark Knight Rises is just like kind of a silly movie and not very good. And, the, and uh, Batman Begins, I think was the first one. Was that it? Uh, it's really the second one with the Joker that is really the best one. And even that is like not a great movie. Anyway, the point is, is Dunkirk is awesome because it has all the great parts of a Christopher Nolan movie and it's a biographical, historical um, drama, a war drama. And so the story is very straightforward. Um, And it's incredible. It's probably one of the the best war movies I've ever seen um, and just a great film. Now, long-winded way of getting to the point, which is uh, Christopher Nolan's new movie, Tenet, uh, came out in theaters during the pandemic. I think it was delayed a few times, but even I was surprised when it was released into theaters, but there was no way I was going to go to a theater and watch it. Um, so I've been uh, anticipating the digital release, and that happened um, probably in the last like week or so. Um, it came out on Amazon. You can't rent it. You have to buy it if you want to watch it. Excuse me. Um, but I kind of, uh, I, I don't know. I had like a, a movie date night with myself, which sounds kind of weird, but, um, I, uh, I watched Tenet and I really was looking forward to it. And it's, uh, it's a behemoth of a movie. It's two and a half hours long. And I knew that critical opinion was kind of divided on it. I think it was initially very good. I think since it's actually come out and more people have seen it, I think uh, 
I think it's been very divisive. And um, there's a part of me, and I do this with my brother too, when we recommend movies to each other, you know, we're on this kick where we we want to watch the movies without them, without knowing anything about it, really. Just trying to have a pure movie-going experience. Most recently, it was this Korean movie that I recommended to him called I Saw the Devil. If you haven't seen it, you should. Uh, very bloody, very gory. Uh, it's not going to be everybody's thing, but it's uh, it's very good. And it, it's, uh, it's just an experience. So uh, he went into it, watched it, not really knowing anything about it. Uh, I did the same thing for myself with Tenet. I knew it had something to do with time, time travel possibly, and something with police officers or something like that, but I really didn't know anything about the plot. Um, if you haven't seen Tenet and you're planning to, stop the podcast right now. And I mean that. Most people, they say that, but, you know, I don't know. There's, you know they, they really don't want you to click away from their content. But really and truly, if you have not seen Tenet and you fully plan to, do yourself a favor and stop the podcast right now. If you're listening to this in most programs, if you, pe- if you press <laughs> pause, it will remember where you're at. So it'll be very easy for you to come back and watch this. But um, I'm going to share about my experience with Tenet. And uh, I'm not really going to try to give too many spoilers away. But I also, I think you owe it to yourself to just kind of have your own response to it initially. And then come back. Once you know the plot, you know... Um, you know, not that I necessarily want to color your uh, repeated viewings if you happen to do that, but um, but I think you owe it to yourself to just kind of get your own first take. And so, yeah, I'm going to do that now. I'm going to give you one last chance. If you haven't seen the movie Tenet and you plan to, and you want to have your own sort of visceral experience, stop the podcast right now. Okay, so I start the movie. And, of course, the minute it starts, you know you're watching a Christopher Nolan movie. There's just something about the visual element and the vibe and the score, by the way. Even though it wasn't done by Hans Zimmer, you just kind of you know you're watching a Christopher Nolan movie. And so it kicks off, and right away it starts with this huge sort of action, uh, action sequence. And I was confused as fuck. I, I didn't know what was going on. And I thought, well, that's okay. Let's just wait and see what happens. You know, after the 15-minute mark, I sort of checked in with myself, and I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I mean, I kind of understand the broad strokes. I, I, the words and the dialogue are washing over me, and there's some comprehension there. But I, I don't really know who's who. Scenes are starting, uh, and I'm not really sure what the objective is. You know, it's like in most action movies or... Um, you know, there are scenes like, oh, we got to infiltrate this building. We got to go meet that person. I did not understand the nature of relationships. I didn't understand really what was going on. And by the, by the one hour mark, I looked at the time because I remember checking in with myself and saying, we are one hour into this movie and a lot of things have happened and a lot of it, you know, very entertaining visually. I have no idea what's going on. And that feeling persisted and even multiplied throughout the film. At an hour and a half, there's one sequence that changes the whole fucking movie. And I did not understand what I was looking at. I mean, I, you understand what you're looking at. There's a certain mechanic like Inception, right? So Inception is this concept of a dream within a dream. 
in Tenet, obviously, because you're a good person, you stopped and you watched it, we know that there's the mechanic of the turnstile, where people can be going forward through time, they enter the turnstile, and then they become inverted and they go back in time. The sequence that confused the fuck out of me, like I think a lot of people, was the car chase scene that ends in going into the turnstile and uh, Sater kills Kate with an inverted bullet. And then the protagonist enters the turnstile and we see that whole sequence again, right? And then it culminates in him actually, you know, revisiting the action sequence we just saw. And it's like you sort of watch the movie the first time on faith. Like you go... I kind of understand what's going on. I, I vaguely understand the nature of the relationships, but I really don't understand what's taking place. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, the final action sequence, right? It is so fucking confusing because now you, you and I didn't realize this, by the way, spoiler alert, I watched the movie three fucking times, <laughs> which is when my, my brother said, dude, you got to get your girlfriend back into town. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. Um, by the end of the movie, you realize, oh, he's, we're switching back and forth between times. You know, there's the two, there's the red team and the blue team and whatever. And you're like, oh, I'm watching this from two different ends. It's a fucking nightmare. Um, but by the end of the movie, I finished it and I said, I can't, I was so befuddled and frustrated at the end of that movie. And the thing that it brought me back to was reading Gravity's Rainbow by Pynchon. Which is, when I read Pynchon, it was a hateful reading experience, is how I describe it. Um, I don't know if you've read Gravity's Rainbow, I think we've talked about it on here. Um, I think I think I most recently mentioned it in terms of the, the game developer Jonathan Blow, who admired that novel, because it's a novel that is not scared to leave you behind, is the phrase that he used. You know, that, that book pulls out of the station and it's not really concerned of whether or not you're following along. It's just sort of, a, it's like a rocket. It's just on its own fucking trajectory. Tenet is the same way. It's very high concept. The plot moves ridiculously fast and so much hinges on dialogue. And I actually looked this up and I realized other people saw the same thing. But the first time I was watching it, I was like, I can't really hear what people are saying. I like, I there's something about the audio mixing of that movie that's very strange. The score is obviously very loud. Maybe it's scored for IMAX or mixed for IMAX rather. I don't know. But there are important, I mean, so much hinges on one sentence sometimes in the plot in terms of, you know, entire scenes hinge on one sentence that happens in the prior scene. And you just miss so much. So um, the second time I watched it, I had to watch it with subtitles just so I could follow the dialogue that was taking place. So Something strange about that movie in the editing. It's just cut way too fast. Um, but, uh, and I, I don't know where I was going with all this bullshit. Oh, it just sort of takes out, you know, we're talking about um, Gravity's Rainbow. It's not afraid to leave you behind. You watch the movie in every scene, you know that you're fucking lost. You do not understand, the, you know, the fundamental part of this movie about moving through time and being inverted. There's something so disconcerting about it. Um, you just sort of like... In some ways, you sort of feel like if you're a student and let's say you miss the first like uh, four, four, five or six weeks of class and you just sort of jump in and you have no fucking idea what's going on, but you sort of trust that the teacher knows what's going on, that the other students know what's going on. You're just kind of faking your way through it. I was just waiting for some moment where I was going to understand it was all going to snap into place and it never fucking did. Um, So the first time I finished it, I felt really disappointed. I almost felt betrayed <laughs> in a way, you know? Here I was looking forward to this movie-watching experience so much, 
and I watch it, and then by the end of it, I'm fucking pissed off. You know? And I, I, I feel like I was cheated out of that movie-going experience that I really wanted. And maybe this is part of it with Cloud Atlas, too. You're sort of watching it. It's almost, I don't want to get crude here, but it's almost like working up to an orgasm or something where you're like, oh, this is just so fucking great. Oh, that's it. That's it. And then they start doing something weird and you're like, oh shit, we're losing it. We're losing it. We're losing it. That's, that's how it felt with Cloud Atlas. We are like, damn, man, we really had something going there. And I'm not saying it wasn't worth the time, right? But it just, it just didn't go where it could have gone. It still feels like someone had a breakaway and it just wasn't a touchdown. You know what I mean? They got, uh, I don't know, they got, I shouldn't use sports analogies because your boy's not an athlete, but I was like, oh, they got tackled at the 10-yard line or something like that. Um, they didn't take it to the hole. You know what I mean? Um, that's kind of what Cloud Atlas felt like. And it, 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 whatever I had for Cloud Atlas was mag- magnified a thousand times for Tenet. I wanted to like this movie so bad. I wanted it to be my new favorite film. And yet, the first time I watched it, I was fucking pissed. I was like, it felt like such a squandered opportunity. Um, Now, some of these feelings change because, like I said, I've seen it three times now. But the first time I watched it, I was... I I, I go back to this idea of being in dereliction of duty. Um... It's not that I think the concept, you know, the sort of turnstile thing or being inverted through time, it's not that that doesn't make sense, but there's something about the way that 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 whole story was plotted, the way that all the plot lines sort of interweave together where it just felt like it didn't have to be this convoluted. It didn't have to be this difficult. Um, And I don't know, maybe it's, um, I don't know, philosophy of creativity or something like that. Maybe it's a part of getting older. Maybe it's a part of being dumber. There's a part of me that thinks I'm getting dumber as, as I get older. But, um, you know, maybe it has something to do with reading a lot of popular fiction lately, and especially people like Elmore Leonard, and realizing you can really sweep people away without being showy about it, you know? It's a little more sleight of hand with someone like Elmore Leonard. Like, I don't know. It's just pitch perfect, and it's entertaining, and it doesn't need, uh, I don't know. It doesn't need to be high concept for it to be high quality. Um, and there's something about Tenet that just feels like a fucking dereliction of duty fucking movie, which is the concept is so great. The ideas are so brilliant. The themes are so fucking good. And there's so many scenes where you're like, like Interstellar, in fact, actually, now that I think about it, where you're looking at a scene and you know you're supposed to be having a sort of emotive response to it, but it's almost like the movie didn't do its job of carrying you there, you know? It was like asking too much of me and I don't know I guess I go back to this idea of Jonathan Blow with Gravity's Rainbow right where he says you know it's not afraid to leave you behind well that fucking feels shitty (laughs) as a viewer you know it feels a little highfalutin it feels a little navel gazy it feels a little self-indulgent um I don't know yeah so I felt a little cheated the first time I watched it um, the next morning I woke up and I was sort of pilling around for an hour. And of course I was thinking about the movie. And so I just started watching it again. And once I was like 30 minutes into it, I realized, oh shit, I guess we're, I guess we're watching this fucking movie again. And I did, uh, in like three different installments. And I feel like 
the second time I was like, okay, now I know what the, you know, I can sort of pay more attention, right? And there was a couple times where someone would say something, and I'm watching it with subtitles now, where I had to pause it and just sort of think, okay, do I understand everything that's going up up, up to this point? And I, I, I think I do. But again, as the movie goes on, there's just that one scene in the center where shit fucking changes, and I'm like, I don't think I fucking follow this anymore. And I don't, and there's a part of you that feels like, on the one hand, you just want to defer to Christopher Nolan's expect, expertise and say, I'm sure he probably spent fucking two decades on this fucking story, and you assume that he did all the work of figuring out that the, I don't know, that it works, so to speak, and you go, I guess, I guess I'll just trust his, his judgment. But you still have this feeling like, I don't know if this makes sense. You know, like, I feel like, I feel like this all feels pretty tentative in terms of uh, a conceit. Like, you know, there's things like we just have to suspend your disbelief. Where it's like, oh, they're zombies. I get it. They're undead. You don't really need to understand how it works. But, but with something like this, it really does need to work. And I'm not saying you need to explain, like, the physics of it, right? Because obviously being inverted through time is not something that you have to, um, you know, not something that you have to justify or explain scientifically. It just needs to make sense on sort of a plot level. And there's something about this movie where you go, I I don't know, I feel like there's something wrong with it. But I get to the end of it, and I go, okay, I feel a little bit better about this movie, but I still feel fucking disappointed. And then later that night, I fucking watched the movie again. Uh, And I was like, okay, it all kind of makes sense to me, but I don't know. I still feel fucking cheated, and I don't know what that is. I've thought a lot about this movie. I still think about it. And maybe that's, you know, that says something about it itself. But I guess, actually, in fact, that's probably what I'm trying to get down to. You watch a movie like Tenet and you think, you've never seen a movie like this before. That you can say about it. It's unlike any movie-going experience you've ever had. You've never seen a plot like this. Um... You know, there's things like time travel and stuff, but there's, like Inception, there's just, you've never seen a movie like it. Um, And in terms of craft, I I don't know what you want to call it, but, you know, visually, it's it's beautiful. Uh, Stylistically, it's beautiful. You know, Christopher Nolan is a real tourist. You know, you feel that in his films. He's a real fucking filmmaker. And it's also funny, too, when you look at this, you know, I'm watching one scene from Tenet, um, you know, there's this big sequence where they have to sort of, like, uh, intercept a vehicle in the middle of a highway and, like, extract a, a suitcase that's inside of it. And there's just something about that one scene alone where I just think more money and time and planning went into shooting, like, one of those scenes, just one of those shots, than most people, you know, put into their entire creative output, for the most part. Um, so you feel like a fucking jackass when it's just like me sitting at home watching a movie like Tenet and feeling critical about it. When you're like, what the fuck have you ever done? Do you have any idea how much time and energy and work goes into making this fucking movie? Um, it is a success, right? Regardless of whether it's good or bad, it's a success. The fact that that movie even got made is a fucking miracle, right? And yet, what is that feeling where you watch it and you feel like it's still a a misstep. Like you feel judgmental where you go, God, I don't know, just given my experience of this person's work, given everything I think I, I, I know about their movies and the things I think they do well, why do I feel like this is such a mistake? 
I mean, and it's 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 hard to explain, right? Because the idea is so good. Why do I feel like they sort of squandered it? And why didn't they consider me? You know? Maybe that's what I think about. I think this person made this movie and they had to have finished it. Weren't they aware that most people who watch this movie are not going to understand it? Are you? Are they okay with that? I think it's the first movie that Christopher Nolan's made. I don't think it recouped its money. I think a lot of that has to do with uh, coronavirus, obviously, because people didn't. Go, nobody's going to the fucking movies. But I think it still had to. I, th- I think it's like short a hundred million dollars. Like I think it costs around three hundred fifty million dollars to make. I think they gross like two hundred million. But I have to believe that part of it is most people, I would honestly, I would say nearly everybody who I, I just, look, your boy's pretty smart. I didn't understand that fucking movie. I don't think anyone can sit down and watch Tenet for the first time and just get it. <sighs> Maybe that's okay. I think the thing I really try to justify it against is what about, what about a filmmaker like David Lynch? David Lynch makes movies that nobody who fucking watches them understands. They have to be viewed repeated times to kind of connect all the dots. And even then, they don't make sense. This feels somehow different. You know, David Lynch's movies exist in an environment where they're, they're sort of dreamlike. And I'm not talking about dreamlike the way Inception is dreamlike. Christopher Nolan's movies may be high concept and he may play with reality, but they're, they're based in reality. And they're popular movies. They're made for the general movie-going audience. But there's something about Tenet that bothered me. There's something about the way that it just will befuddle anybody who watches it that really bothers me, and I, I, I don't know. Because on the one hand, the, the more times I've seen it, now that I've seen it three times, I appreciate it more. And yet, I don't know. There's also a part of me that recognizes I don't want to be spending this. Well, I guess I do, clearly, because it's it's how I'm spending my time. But I guess I just wonder if I'm just becoming increasingly impatient is part of my frustration with it. Um, You know, when I was younger, I felt like I had more patience for art. And, uh, um, you know, if I had Gravity's Rainbow at a different point in my life, maybe I would have... I don't know, invested more time in it, and I've even thought about rereading it, honestly. Um, anyway, I feel like I'm not speaking very articulately about this point, but again, I, I watched this movie and I just felt like Christopher Nolan was in dereliction of duty. And I guess the difference between something like Cloud Atlas, where in some ways you just feel like it's, you know, it's not like... I don't know, you read Cloud Atlas and whatever falls, whatever faults exist in it, you just sort of feel like, well, it is what it is. You know, someone's doing something super ambitious and maybe they just, I don't know, maybe it was just a little bit beyond their grasp or something. Or in Cloud Atlas, it's something more like structure. You think he's, it really struggles to wrap up all of its plot points and you think, well, maybe he didn't have to. Maybe he could have left some of this a little more open-ended and it would have been more satisfying. It certainly could have been shorter. You know, even now that I think back on that novel, I just think, you know, I guess novels can be as long as they need to be, but it's, it's kind of a lot, of, a lot of superfluous stuff in there where you think, oh, you probably could have cut that out, and the whole thing would have felt much leaner. 
anyway, here I am giving notes to novelists and, and filmmakers, but here's the thing I really want to get to, I think. You know, lest it just sound like I'm sitting here with my arms folded sort of criticizing Christopher Nolan. Here's what I like about Cloud Atlas and what I like about Tenet. And it comes from, uh, I think about uh, probably like a decade ago, I read a couple Philip Roth books. I read Chris, uh, Goodbye Columbus, um, <clears throat> excuse me, which is a, a novella and like, I think five short stories. <clears throat> very good. And then I read a novel of his called Portnoy's Complaint. Also very interesting. But um, I saw a video, uh, and I can't remember where it was. I think it was the screenwriter who adapted... Um, I forget the name of the book, but it was adapted into a movie called The Human Stain. I think I'm getting this right, with Ben Kingsley and Penelope Cruz. <clears throat> and I remember seeing this movie, but the screenwriter uh, who had adapted Philip Roth's novel that that movie is based on um, into a movie was on The Charlie Rose Show. And he was just talking about Philip Roth, and he was sort of equating him to like a lot of creative people. I think John Updike, the novelist, is like this. Woody Allen as a filmmaker is this. Is Every year they have something new. And obviously, I think, since the recent controversy, I think Woody Allen has slowed down. But for the, for most of his career, Woody Allen released a movie every year. You know, maybe every other year at sometimes. But he always was working on something new. And Philip Roth was the same way as a novelist. John Updike, for the large part of his career, was the same way as a novelist. They just uh, always have something new. And the way that this person worded it, he says, uh, you know, they weren't all great, but they always kept swinging for the fences. And so, if nothing else, when you read a book like Cloud Atlas, you think, holy shit, this person went for it. You know, it's this sort of loopy, bizarre, ambitious plot. Um, And it's just, it's kind of unlike anything you've ever read before. And it's fucking, despite maybe even some glaring flaws, it's pretty fucking cool. And so, I don't know, I I kind of feel the same way about Tenet, I think. Well... I feel a little frustrated. I wish I understood it more. I wish he had done it a little bit differently. I don't think, I don't, really don't think it needed to be this complicated. Um, but at least he fucking did it, you know? You just have to think, who, what other filmmaker with this kind of a budget and this kind of resources is making movies like this? You know, the only thing comparable in terms of scale is, you know, like the fucking Avengers Endgame. Or whatever the fuck. Um, and I, there's a, I don't know what it is. There's this whole contingency of pissed off people for comic books who, you know, really defend them and think that they're fucking great. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. And I, I don't mean to sound, uh, you know, too highfalutin, but it's just insane to me that people, I don't know. They talk about like the Avengers movies, like they're fucking high art, which is just, uh, I, I don't know. It's fucking insane to me. But like those movies are dog shit. So I guess you got to give it up to Christopher Nolan for be, being the one guy who takes his $300 million, million dollar budget and makes this fucking kind of high concept, uh, I don't know, a tourist uh, blockbuster uh, mindfuck of a movie. Um, but who knows? You wonder what time will say about this movie. Like, for some reason, I was thinking about Moby Dick, which I read half of and fucking put down. But when Moby Dick came out, it was a fucking failure. You know, in in Melville's lifetime, Moby Dick was not a successful novel. 
now it's in every backpack of every college student and probably high schooler too, uh, in the United States. Right. Um, to be fair though, I guess, I guess I'm just walking through my thoughts on this, but you know, I read half of Moby Dick and fucking put it down. I think, you know, maybe Moby Dick is more like, you know, it has a reputation that you're supposed to like it. Right. So I don't know that most people who sit down with Moby Dick actually enjoy it as much as they feel like they're supposed to enjoy it. You know, me and my brother try to read Ulysses. Actually, a good, you know, maybe a good counterpoint to this is Infinite Jest. Infinite Jest is another one of those novels that, you know, it's just a mindfuck of a novel that, you know, nobody really has ever written anything like it before. But, like, you know, you read Infinite Jest and you realize, oh, this, this, this novel's the real fucking deal. Like, uh, it's very different, but it's also, you know, War and Peace is the real fucking deal. You know, there's plenty of big books that you get to and you sort of... I don't know, you read War and Peace, you're swept up in the first 30 pages, and you're just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I thought this thing was going to be a fucking slog, and it's fucking, it's really, really good. But, um, but I feel like Gravity's Rainbow is, like, the opposite of that. It's very fraudulent, and I think most people who read it pretend that they like it because they feel like they're supposed to. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. This is one of those conversations where I feel like I've, uh, I've said the same thing over and over again for the last like 25 minutes. And, and even then I feel like I've mopped myself into some kind of corner where I'm really not, <laughs> not sure where we're going with all this or what the takeaway is, except, um, Hmm, I don't know. (sighs) Yeah, who knows, man. Maybe I just need my girlfriend back in town. Your boy's spending too much time thinking about this stuff. Although maybe I'll say this. You know, my brother and I were having a conversation recently, and uh, we were talking about something else unrelated, but, the, you know, we were talking about this concept of reading and, and spending a lot of time reading, or, or watching movies, or really, you know, the amount of time you invest in, in anything that you enjoy doing. And then there might be, there might come a, a, a time in your life where you look back on that, and you look at it, you look at it as time wasted. Um, and I think, I'm pretty sure he was talking about reading, you know, but it's this kind of thing that you just kind of do, and... Sometimes you get swept up in like reading all the classics or this thing that you're supposed to do, but you look back and you go, I wish I just spent more time living my life. Um, I forget the way he worded it necessarily, but there's something about that that I've really thought about. And I think because it's something I wrestle with too, Um, you know, as someone who's spent a lot of their time alone and and actually I think it came up in conversation because... I, I was sort of, you know, saying like I, I usually do, which is I like to spend a lot of time alone. And my brother was saying, you know, I hear you say that, and I, I'm not sure that that's entirely true. And so in some ways, he was articulating very clearly something that I, you know, one narrative that I have going in my head uh, all the time, which is in some ways, I think the amount of time I spend alone, even the time I invest in books or even my creative interests, because it is so isolating, because it is something I do by myself, there's a part of me that wonders if it isn't uh, 
pathological, for lack of a better word. Not that I'm, I don't think I'm really using that word correctly in this, in this context, but, you know, it's sort of an, it's really like an emotional avoidance type behavior. Um, I mean, I've said people who smoke weed every day, people who abuse substances, there's something fundamentally emotionally avoidant about that behavior. I think it's more clear in the case of drugs and alcohol because it is literally mind altering. Um, and so it makes sense. You know, if you're a person who, and maybe you can test this, but I wouldn't dismiss it too quickly. Excuse me. If you smoke weed every day, there is something about your life that is hard to show up for. Um, you know, and this is someone who was a daily pot smoker for a big chunk of their life, uh, was certainly a, a, a daily drinker for a big part of their life. Also, there's something about your life that is hard to show up for. Um, and so it makes sense to me, even though I, you know, your boy hasn't ingested a mind-altering substance for years, hasn't had a sip of alcohol, hasn't smoked weed, uh, nothing. I've been a complete teetotaler for the last four years or so. Um, but it would make sense that I would, that there would be other things I do in my life that sort of accomplish the same thing for me. Many people, when they quit uh, drinking or smoking, they they have other addictions and they're not as life affecting and we all have vices on, uh, you know, to one degree or another. So who really cares? But yeah, there's, there's, I've always sort of looked at my interest, you know, know, why are my interests so isolating? And there's one, one line of my thinking, uh, is pretty, uh, critical of myself. And so I think that's kind of what my brother was speaking to. You know, there may come a time in your, in your life where you, you, you don't think you, uh, need as much time alone as you think. You may not even enjoy your time alone as much as you report that you do, or maybe even think that you do. Um, and so in some ways that made a lot of sense to me, right? That validated one line of criticism that I have uh, in my head all the time. And yet I thought, you know, I think it was... I, feel, I don't know. I, th- I feel like this came up on another podcast also, but I think Bertrand, Ru- Bertrand Russell said this, which he said, you know, the time we enjoy wasting is not time wasted. <laughs> you know, I enjoy spending my time that way. And when I look back on my life, I've always been that way. You know, this is something I, I, I talk about in therapy. You know, who am I? What do I want? Um, you know, this may be too simplistic, but people kind of are who they are. They do what they do because that's what they enjoy doing. Um, I've always been that way ever since I can remember. I've been, uh, I've enjoyed reading. I like being alone. Um, that's just who I am. And also, (laughs) you know, it sounds silly. Well, actually, maybe I want to say more about this first before I justify it, but I guess the way I apply this to other people and the way the types of criticisms I let, I, I, um, I use against myself that I use against other people would be people who like play video games a lot. There's plenty of people who engage in behavior on a consistent basis that to me is patently self, uh, I don't want to say self-destructive. Maybe I think for many people it is, but it's at least self, self, uh, self, self, uh, limiting maybe is the word for it. Self limiting behavior. Um, I think video games are an obvious example. And I know it sounds hypocritical to say that because people who enjoy playing video games enjoy playing video games. Um, 
you know, and I, I guess I want to acknowledge that, yeah, you know, anything taken to extre- an extreme is bad for you, right? Too much food is bad for you. Too much reading could be bad for you. Too much whatever could be bad for you. But there's something about video games that I think almost intrinsically, almost intrinsically is self-limiting. Um, I say almost because at the end of the day, it's like Twitter, <laughs> You know, there's something about it that makes it a particularly good venue for vapid and vacuous content to be generated, and so it seems like that's something that in, that is intrinsic to the <laughs> to the medium. But the truth is, is we can make whatever we want out of it, right? Like Twitter could be, um, you know, given its constraints, it, it could be a venue, and I'm sure some people use it that way as like a, it could be a, a pretty uh, intricate tool, or maybe a it could be a very um, uh, I don't know, an interesting tool to wield to, to actually do very cool things. But um, there's something about video games that feels like a particular waste of time to me. And I think just also drawing on my own experience, most of the people I know who spend a lot of time playing playing video games are not people you'd necessarily want to be or emulate. You know, they don't have a whole lot going for them. And I, I'd, I say this with weed too. I mean, weed, um, to borrow someone else's phrase, has been sort of raised to the status of a folk hero lately. But definitely drawing on my own experience, but also, I mean, my personal experience of being a daily pot smoker at times in my life, but people I know who smoke pot on a daily basis, you know, there's people who pretend like this is some natural part of their life and they're successful otherwise. And even though you could point to examples of people who uh, may be daily pot smokers who are successful, I would still say, one, there's still something not fully formed about that person. There's, I, I just think that there's something fundamentally emotionally avoidant about having to ingest a mind-altering substance every day. Also, I would say that they'd be more successful if they didn't, uh, despite their current success. But also, most people who engage in that behavior on a daily basis are not going to... It's going to rob you of your ambition to borrow a line from Jackie Brown. Sam Harris says, that's just going to... You, you a bunch of cheats and chongs, huh? That's just going to rob you of your ambition. It's true. Ah, uh, what the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, I don't fucking know, man. I think I'm trying to get to this idea where I think, on the one hand, I, I sort of think, why the fuck do I even care about this stuff? Why do I invest so much time in books and movies? And yet there's a part of me that feels like it is very important. Um... You know, as someone who does something in a public forum, <laughs> I see criticism of me, and there's so many times I just think, that person has no fucking idea what they're talking about. That person is not listening to the same fucking podcast. That person is not listening to the same fucking music that I make. And uh, it always affects you. But, you know, when you're just feeling, when you're feeling pretty um, reasonable about the whole thing, there's plenty of people who have criticisms that do not know what the fuck they're talking about. Um and are they're just they're just wrong. <laughs> you know, you try to say, well every every everybody's opinion is valid. I don't think so. <laughs> I think there's plenty of people who hold opinions on things they have no right to uh well I guess I should say they can you can believe whatever you want, but it doesn't mean that your your opinion is equally valid. Um So yes, why does it matter what I feel about Tenet? Why does it matter what I feel about Cloud Atlas? Um I don't know. That shit feels important to me. I think that's why I I feel like when we were talking through this in another episode, I came up with this idea of um, being in dereliction of duty as a creative person. 
You know, you be- or betraying the muse, I think is what it came down to. You can go back through the episodes and find that one because I, <laughs> I think, uh, I think uh, we are. I, I probably have already articulated a lot of these thoughts much clearer in that episode, betraying the muse. But um, yeah, there's just something you know. I really believe that, and maybe it's because I believe Christopher Nolan especially is in a place to kind of, I don't know. I feel like the re- filmmakers are sort of the, and all artists really, but they are the the shamans and the mystics of our generation. And there is something about Tenet, which is very important. You know, there's the, the themes of that movie, I think are actually are very important. Not And there's something so now about them. Um, again, this is one of those things where you can believe or not, but it's one of those movies that I watch and it hurts me because there are threads of Tenet that, you know, my sort of post-Eaching thing where I had this, you know, inspiration to create this thing that I never did because I was too fucking scared. But, you know, there are parts of that in Tenet, you know? Uh, I had this inspiration to create something that I just never did. And I really feel like I've seen it shattered into a thousand pieces and, and just sort of carried out in other things because I didn't do it. But, you know, some of that is in Tenet. And there's a part of me that just feels like, almost like, oh, okay, now we're bringing it back to Cloud Atlas. So there's something about Cloud, At- Cloud Atlas, which I think is a powerful thing, which is, the deeds you do in this life echo through eternity and nobody knows what role they're, they will play in history. But part of, I think having a life well lived is sort of fulfilling your potential and doing the thing that you feel called to do, not because it will actually change the world in this lifetime, but it sets a sequence of events and motions that you can't predict. You know, I go back to this quote of Tupac where he says, you know, I may not change the world, but I guarantee you I will spark the mind that will change the world. I think art is that way. And so maybe there's a part of me where it doesn't matter that Tenet is confusing. There's some work being carried out by having this in the zeitgeist, by having this film made. It's done what it needs to do in sort of a cosmic sense, right? There's all, all the while there's this great work being carried out in the cosmos and this is part of it. Um, I don't know Christopher Nolan. I'm not the type of person who watches a lot of interviews with people. I just don't, I just don't engage in that way. So I I don't know what Christopher Nolan believes, but I just have to think that given the the topics that he talks about, I, I, I I would wonder if there is a part of Christopher Nolan that realizes that he's, uh, you know, he's juggling some mystical timeless kind of themes that need to be carried out in the art of uh, each generation or else they die you know, it's that kind of never-ending story idea, which is, you know, Fantasia needs to be built and lives in our imaginations. And the minute people stop reading, the minute people stop thinking about this this stuff, there's a great nothing that begins to invade and Fantasia is dying. And the only thing that keeps Fantasia alive is people doing the thing that they were supposed to do. I think there's a part of Christopher Nolan, I think it's why people like watching him work so much or watching his movies is because there's just someone who's on to something, you know, and they're running it. Like they have the ball and you don't know where it's going necessarily, but they're fucking going for it. You know, um, I feel like actually this came up. I was watching, a Charlie Rose. I used to really like it. So it's so, so sad that so many of the most, you know, so many of the, uh, the tentpole people in my life who I look back on, you know, and I feel like so much of their work has been influential for me were ultimately me too'd. 
Um, I don't know if I should be concerned about my how I'm calibrated or or if, uh, you know, that just means the problem is so ubiquitous. But um, I was watching this conversation. Oh, I, well, I should finish that thought, which is Charlie Rose was somebody. Um, there's just not that Charlie Rose himself is that great, but there was just so many interesting people who sat at his table that he was one of the, you know, when, when YouTube was first a thing. I mean, I just remember watching so many interviews with like Christopher Hitchens and Martin Amos and um, uh, Ian McEwen and, and, and just Stephen King and just, I mean, the list goes, everybody, Quentin Tarantino, anybody who was ever anybody has sat down with Charlie Rose at some time. And, and David Foster Wallace, I remember those conversations. Um, I was just watching by chance, YouTube was like, hey, you might watch this. It was Brad Pitt in conversation with Charlie Rose about the movie Troy, which if you've seen it is a fucking dog turd <laughs> and you watch it. I mean, I know that this is what selling a movie is all about. You talk about everything you're doing now as if it's the greatest thing ever. It's just funny to watch Brad Pitt talk seriously about the movie Troy when the movie is a, is a fucking turd. Um, but they said this about Charlie Kaufman, which is someone who got crucified on this podcast for, uh, I've been thinking of ending things, but Charlie Kaufman's original movies and maybe even the work that he's doing now, possibly. But you go back and you look at being John Malkovich, you look at Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Adaptation, that is someone you fucking feel the spirit in that work. You feel like, oh, this person's on to something. Per- this person has their finger on the pulse of something very important that needs to, that, you know, there's some work being carried out by this movie being made. It's new and inevitable at the same time. You know, you feel that in Charlie Kaufman's early work, especially if you were around for the time when it came out. You were like, oh, you got hit with the fucking spirit. There's some work being carried out. I feel that with Christopher Nolan. And I know there's a lot of people who want to dismiss him because, you know, he makes movies for popular people and he's sort of, uh, I don't know. I guess I just sort of, I I just assume people dismiss him because uh, he is who he is. But, um... You know, I feel the spirit in his movies, and so um, there's something about Tenet where I feel like, you know, you're a vessel for the spirit, man. Uh, you, you were uh, uh, given this gift of this concept, and there's so much important stuff here that there's so many glaring, to me, you know, my very personal opinion, there's so many glaring issues with the execution that it's just, it's confusing, more than anything else. And I don't just mean the plot. The movie is confusing itself, but the execution is also confusing. You know, did it have to be this complicated? Why didn't, it could have been a little slower. I mean, I know the movie's already two and a half hours, but I need to know what's going on. You know, and the fact that there's so much that hinges on the dialogue that you can't even fucking hear or understand or follow. It's moving too fast. Um, anyway, Yeah. One of those conversations that, and honestly, I, I have felt this way about the podcast recently. Um, I think this is just what happens. I mean, I, I said, we're doing a hundred episodes of this podcast and here are, we're at episode 66. And by the way, this is going to be, uh, not the last episode of 2020. We have one more after this, but this will be the last episode before Christmas. So, and, uh, not that everybody here celebrates Christmas. I try to be egalitarian with the holidays, I suppose, but, um, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know, Merry Christmas. I, I had tried to, I, I told myself I was going to set some time aside to sort of acknowledge that and wish you all a Merry Christmas, but who gives a fuck? Um, we're on episode 66 of the podcast. I feel like we're kind of in the middle of things, you know, 
we're past the halfway point. Um, this is just what happens. Maybe it's like running a marathon. You know, there's times where you feel very in it and there's times where you just sort of zone out and, uh, you know, you're not very present, but, uh, you're still putting in miles. Uh, the last couple episodes, maybe even the last six or so, I, I'd say have been, you know, they've been hard for me. Um, you know, I don't know what's going on in my life that makes it that, that way, but, um, yeah, it's weird. In some ways I feel there's so much going on creatively in my mind, probably now, probably more now than at other times. And yet I really struggle to articulate that. Maybe, maybe because there's, they're all forming. <laughs> maybe a lot of what I'm sort of putting together now is sort of germinal, um, you know, maybe I'll go back and listen to this and, and see, oh, that was the first time I started thinking about X or mm, not a very good, not a fully formed thought on that concept. But yeah, that's, this is about the time you started thinking about those things. But, um, yeah, it's been hard recently. And, um, what can I say? So I guess I'm just trying to say, here I am talking about this thing and it feels very important. And yet I feel stupid. (laughs) I feel like I'm not articulating myself clearly. Um, yeah, it's weird. Sometimes, uh, I mean, on, on the one hand, I have my brother's voice in my head saying, you know, the things he enjoys least about this are the sort of meta commentary on the podcast. But I think it's relevant here because, you know, I wonder what this is, <laughs> you know, I'm just sort of keeping a running journal. And of course it might be interesting for people who know me, um, and on, on some level, it's going to be interesting for me at some point if I go back and, and listen to all of these. But um, it's kind of like Cloud Atlas. And I know it's fictionalized, but, you know, what am I... This feels like part of my creative output, and it's not writing a song. But it feels, you know, it feels like what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And I don't know what it's going to become. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, like that year and a half I spent going to bars and talking to people... Uh, I'm working some muscle that I don't know what it is, but I, I, I'll need it to execute something in the future. But, but who knows? I mean, clearly people listen to this podcast. I see the numbers, uh, you know, <laughs> they're not uh, super impressive, uh, by many standards. I think many people would, 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 uh, would be satisfied with them, but, um, they're also very, very modest, but, um, Clearly, some people like listening to this thing. Um, So I don't know. I guess I hear myself doing these types of episodes where I I feel like I'm sort of uh, floundering. And I think, well, maybe this is, uh, maybe we can all agree that these are the uh, least entertaining episodes of the podcast. And yet, I don't know, the conceit is that this is a stream of consciousness podcast. And so maybe we're just all on the same page where where we understand that some are just not going to be great. You know, but the uh, the exercise is in the doing, or the I don't know I don't know what you say, but the 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 success is in the doing. And so far, we're on episode sixty six. We put out an episode every week, and uh, that's an accomplishment. So you know, even if you don't like it, um, you're gonna have a hard time taking that away from me. So you know, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to find a natural way to bring all this stuff together. Um, but that, uh, that feels like it's going to be a tall order. So maybe we'll just move to wrap things up today. 
But I do want to say, uh, I know not all of us celebrate Christmas, and uh, your boy is not Christian either, and will uh, be not do anything for Christmas other than not work this year. But, you know, uh, I'm a secular dude. And yet, these I feel like holidays are still a perfect excuse to, to not work and to sort of mark time and to check in with yourself. And, uh, and yeah, just kind of see where you're at in your life. Uh, I would say in the last few years, and it's been less, less frequently, or I should say probably for the last decade, less frequently in the last few years, but especially at the end of the year, I usually get depressed. You know, I check in with myself and I think about where I want to be next year. And I don't know, that's a, that's a sad process for me usually. Um, and I feel a little bit of that just starting to come on. It's a little bit late in the year considering it's already, what is it, the 20th? I think today's December 20th, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, there's, a, we, in California, we just had an increase, uh, I don't know what you call it, lockdown for the pandemic, uh, stay in, it's, I think it's more than shelter in place. I think it's a stay at home order. Not that I think people really observe that, but that's sort of where we're at now. And, uh, I don't know. There's no end in sight for this uh, coronavirus thing. And, uh, and I don't know, I can't do anything about that, but I also, you know, I also, when I think about the next year, I, I got to do something different and it's going to have to start happening soon because, you know, I, I'm just, I'm too sedentary, you know, um, I'm not running, I'm not working out, you know, uh, I'm as big now as I have been at any time in my life and, uh, I don't feel good, you know, I don't feel good in my body and, uh, so I need to start being physical, I need to start running, um, so I don't know, kind of a cliche New Year's resolution, and I'm not, I'm not even sure I believe in those things, but, um, but I don't know, 2021's got to be different, you know, something's got, something's got to be different next year, and, uh, and I'm not sure what it'll be yet, but of course, whatever it will be, uh, will come up on this podcast, so, uh, I'll just say for now, uh, thank you for keep, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast, thank you, uh, for tuning in, if you're not already subscribed, you can on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, take a minute, rate and review us. Give us five stars. You know, let people know why you listen to the podcast. And if there's anyone in your life you think would like it, go ahead and send them your favorite episode. Until next week, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao for now. <laughs>